Well, we are continuing in a series on the Gospel of John, and so you need to turn with me in a Bible to John 17, because that's where we have gotten to. We're getting closer and closer to the end. It's been a really long and good journey through the Gospel of John. I've enjoyed spending so much time with Jesus. Um, John 17 is what we're going to read today, and we're going to read a lot of it, and it is going to be a little repetitive and feel a little bit hard to follow. So um, pay close attention. Uh, Don't drift off. Uh, John 17, we're going to start at verse 1. After Jesus had spoken these words, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, so that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all people to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. So now, Father, glorify me in your own presence, with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. I have made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words that you gave to me I have given to them, and they have received them, and know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I'm asking on their behalf, I'm not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you gave me, because they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. And now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them in your name, that you have given me, so they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them in your name, that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them was lost, except the one destined to be lost so the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and I speak these things in the world, so that they may have my joy made complete in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I am not asking you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. They do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, so that they may also be sanctified in truth. I ask not on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, may they be also in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be completely one, so the world may know that you have sent me and loved them, even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There is a a power in eavesdropping. You get the kind of inside scoop, access to information that you might not otherwise have had, maybe, or maybe information that you might not otherwise want. Um, Paige, I've got a slide. Would you mind pulling that up for me? Um, this Instagram account um, should give you a pretty good idea of what I'm talking about. Um, I saw my therapist commented on g post, yes, get it, with like 10 emojis. Should I still take her advice? <laughs> what do you think? Yes, more than ever. Yes, more than ever before. Thanks, babe. The whole idea behind this Instagram account, it's called Overheard LA. Um, 
is that you will get a better idea of what LA is like and what its people are like indirectly by listening in on their conversations. And that is a really interesting idea that we learn a lot from eavesdropping, more about who people are and what they care about and what really matters to them. And I think that's absolutely the point of John 17. We are eavesdropping on Jesus' prayers. Now that's incredible if you really think about what John 17 is showing us. If I were to listen in on your prayers, I think I would learn a lot about you. It would be an amazingly intimate look at your life that no one sees. And if you were to look at my prayers and hear them, I suspect you would learn a lot about me and the things that I care about, how I really feel about certain people, how I really feel about my life and where it's going. And you and I get to place our ear against the door of heaven and listen in on a conversation between Jesus and God. That's amazing. And what we hear, mostly, is stuff about us. When Jesus prays, he prays about us. That's the thing that matters most to him in the world. And he doesn't pray about us in the way that maybe you would expect him to pray about us. Like, oh gosh, these people, how long do I have to be with these people? They are driving me nuts. God, give me strength. Mm. All right. Oh, Lord, if you could just send me like one good disciple from time to time, that would be, right? That's the kind of prayer I think I would probably pray if I were Jesus. Um, and it's, it's remarkable that he prays with this kind of affection for us. He keeps, I'm talking about those that you've given me, like, that we are a gift to Jesus. I don't know if you realize that Jesus thinks of you as a gift that he's been given, not as some project or something that he has to take care of or some like, obligation that he's involved in. Those that you have given me, he calls us over and over and over again. And he is absolutely talking about us. Now, he'll clarify in verse 9 that he's not talking about the world and every human being, but those who follow Jesus. And then again in verse 20, he clarifies even further. I'm not just talking about like the 11 people around me right now, but everyone who comes to believe in me because of them. You and I were in this great chain of witnesses that stretches back all the way to the point where this was written. And the very fact that we're reading this right now and bothering to spend time listening to this right now makes us more like the people that Jesus is praying for, which is really cool to me. That Jesus takes time to pray for you thousands of years ago and that he's actually still praying for you even now. It's just that it's harder for us to listen in these days. We'll come to that in a little bit. The things that Jesus prays for, prays for in this prayer, and for us, certainly, um, that we would be united, um, that we would experience unity and joy and love, uh, that we would be protected, praise for that, um, and that we would experience holiness. Those are some things that Jesus prays for in this prayer. And it's not a sermon, so it doesn't really move in straight lines. It's kind of all over the place um, and extremely repetitive when you really start to listen to it. It's kind of hard almost to follow because the way that it sort of sounds. And so we're going to bounce around a little bit as we look at these different things that Jesus prays for. So first, unity. A big thing for Jesus is that we would be one. And he talks about this in verse 11 and then verses 20 to 26, and over and over and over again, that we would be one as he and the Father are one, that um, their love would kind of leak into our lives, that we would love the way that God loves Jesus and the way that Jesus loves the Father. I mean, that's that's some pretty incredible praying that Jesus is doing for us in this moment. 
And even the very nature of the prayer, the way he kind of keeps doing this, that, that you've given them to me and that I have given something to them and that they would be in me the way that I am in you. And there's kind of this constant sort of movement back and forth between God to Jesus, Jesus to the disciples, the disciples to Jesus, Jesus to God. This sort of connection that we have to Jesus connects us to God, and the connection we have to God connects us to one another, and the connection to one another connects us back to Jesus over and over and over again in this loop. Because Jesus really wants to see this happen in our lives. So he keeps asking for it again and again and again, that we would be one the way that he and the Father are one. The theology of the church, um, that's a really amazing thing to pray for. Uh, That Jesus and God are the same and yet distinct things. Uh, We believe that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one God in three persons, which is a mystery. And the earliest church didn't spend a lot of time trying to explain that to us. Instead, they looked for really good images and metaphors, because it's just not something we're going to understand. And so one of their favorite words was perichoresis, which is a word for a kind of dance in a circle. Uh, and if you've ever been at a, a really good dance party where people are moving really, really fast, or if people are holding hands and sort of just moving really quickly in a circle, uh, it's cool because you can see individuals, but you also just, what you really get a sense of is motion. You can't necessarily figure out where somebody starts and where somebody ends because there's this unity and fun and joy and motion all the time. That was one of the early church's favorite Im- images for God, this great, joyful, ridiculous dance where God is moving all of the time. And you and I, we get invited into this dance. We get invited into the life of God, into the very presence and nature of who God is. That's the kind of unity Jesus is calling for, that our lives will be filled with joy and love the way that God is filled with joy and with love in that way. And I love that Jesus prays for this because I really need this unity in my life. I don't think there's a lot of unity in the world that we live in. It's fair to say we live in a fairly divisive time and a divisive world. There's an op-ed I was reading the other day in the New York Times. Um, David Brooks um, was talking about how hatred has become our our primary um, defining emotion uh, when it comes to our political life. He says, according to a recent paper, 42% of the people in each party regard their opposition as downright evil. Nearly 20% of both Democrats and Republicans believe that their political adversaries lack the traits to be considered fully human. They behave like animals. It gets worse. Roughly 20% of Democrats and 16% of Republicans say that the world would be better off if large numbers of the other party died. Hmm. That's crazy. And ugly and sad. And it, wouldn't it be great if we knew the church wasn't a part of those statistics? But you know we are. I mean, you know that we're absolutely part of that problem. And I'm so grateful that Jesus prays for us here because when I was reading this article, I, I was just struck by how amazingly large those numbers are and was chatting with some friends about it and kind of quoted the article to them. And there was a sort of pause and then once, well, I mean, that's really because of Donald Trump, though. And then somebody else said, well, yeah, it's really because of the liberal media and all that. And I, I was just amazed in that moment that they're doing the very thing that they've just heard about. It's so hard for us. We go, yeah, unity. Unity is the thing, but those guys over there, they really suck, though. (laughs) Unity, though, totally Jesus, but oh, I really don't like them. There's just something about knowing that Jesus knows how fallen and broken we are, how much we're going to need unity as a supernatural gift from God, 
that he doesn't give us six easy steps to being better people, but instead he says, God, they're really going to need your help when it comes to being close to one another the way that you and I are close to one another, loving one another the way you and I are close and loving one another. They, they need joy, God, in their lives. And I want my joy to be made complete in them. And so Jesus keeps praying for unity in our lives over and over and over again. And the only way we're really going to find it, I think, is in that connection we find to Jesus. The closer I am to Jesus, the more I identify with Jesus, the more I start to see other people the way that Jesus sees them. That's more theory than reality in my life, unfortunately. But the closer I get to Jesus, the more I start to see Jesus in other people and see them the way that Jesus sees them. When you see somebody the way Jesus sees them, somebody who's worthy of death on a cross, somebody who is so lovable that they would be worth dying a miserable death for, you can be a little gracious when you disagree with them politically. When you start to see people the way that Jesus sees them, when you see homeless folks by the side of the road and you go, man, Jesus really loves that guy. How can I love that guy the way that Jesus loves? They stop becoming scary or dirty or ugly things in our city, but, but human beings that God cares deeply about. How do I love these people in that way? When you're in a relationship with somebody and um, you've been having a lot of fights lately, there can be moments when you really start praying for them and something sort of cracks inside of you when you realize, no matter how mad I am at them, I want to see them the way that Jesus sees them. I want to love them the way that Jesus loves them. And there's something about being close to Jesus, united with Jesus, and united with the Father who sends the Son, that can bring us closer together with the people around us. It's a gift, really, that's given by God, not something that we, we pursue so much as we're pursuing the Lord, and then it's sort of granted along the way. I've been having this image in my head lately because I've been gardening a lot and it got warm outside. And there's this, there's this weird thing that happens in Phoenix uh, when it gets warm. All the air conditioning turns on in all of the businesses. And so you're freezing cold in March. I don't know if you've noticed. Uh, I'm getting nods from women, but not men. Just uh, so apparently it's colder for women and apparently me, so that's fun. Uh, but there's, there are times when you'll, you'll sit in a Chipotle for 20 or 30 minutes and you'll, you'll start to just feel cold. And you walk outside and the sun hits you and you think, hmm. Oh, it just, it feels so good right now. There's that feeling that, and that's a, that's a unique Arizona kind of feeling. And it's strange when you think about how miserable we're going to be come June or July. But even in June and July, when you've been freezing cold inside a room, there's that moment where 120 degree heat feels good for a second. And I've been watching my plants in the garden and the way they strain for the sun all the time. Like in the early morning, when it's still shadowy, but the sun is up, they're just reaching like as much as they possibly can because they want to get that light and that energy and that heat in them. And if you've learned anything about the way that plants work in the world, right, when sunlight hits them, all of a sudden they get filled with energy. And they're able to produce fruit, not because of anything that they can really do in them, but because they receive something that's extraordinarily powerful. It comes from outside of their cell. They become united with something, and it produces something in them that's magical in a way, and also is not that magical. It makes sense. We know that it happens, and that's really the kind of unity that we need to look for when it comes to Jesus. To stretch out so that we might bask in the warmth of the love of God and watch as that starts to bear fruit in our lives. That's what he's praying for here. Unity. Um, protection is another thing that Jesus prays for. Um, and he really starts praying for that at verse 9. And it's an interesting thing. He prays for it all the way from 9 to verse 15. And there's this, the way that Jesus prays for it is the way that I pray for people I care about. Jesus has this uniquely human experience of not being able to be in every place at the same time. It's a unique thing for God to do. 
and of being worried about people because you're going to leave them behind. I've protected them. He says, well, I've been here, but I'm going to be gone soon. And I'd like, God, you've, you've really got to take care of these people while I'm gone because I'm not going to be able to do that. It was such an interesting thing that, that Jesus prays for here, that we would be kept safe by God. And I, I pray that way for other people, but I'm really grateful to know that Jesus prays that way for me, that he prays that way for you, that God would protect us. And he prays for protection in particular in verse 15 from the evil one. Um, uh, that, not that we would be removed from the world, uh, but that we would be protected from the evil one. And if you read what the world kind of does in verse 14, it would be nice if Jesus prayed a little bit differently. Like the world hates them. I'm, I'm fine with the world hating them, but it would be nice if they could be kept safe from the evil one. Uh, Jesus reminds me of annoying friends of mine who pray like the wrong way. Uh, when you ask, like, when you when you really want a job, and you're like, you know, if you would just pray that I would get this job, like I really want, or if you would just pray that I, like that this dating relationship would work out for me, or if you would just pray um, that I would that I would have more money, and then your friend goes and they pray like, God, I don't know if that's a good thing for them, so I'm just I'm gonna pray that your will would be done. And that they feel loved, and you're like, no, that's not what I asked you to pray for. I wanted, like, I wanted life to be better. And they're like, ah, I want you to be closer to Jesus. You're like, you're obnoxious. And Jesus prays like that for us. Not that they would be removed from the world, which absolutely hates them, um, but that they would be kept safe in the midst of this world that absolutely hates them. I think sometimes when we pray for protection, we, we would really love it if Jesus would sort of just pluck us out of the world into some holy and magical space, and that we wouldn't have to deal with all the ugly, dirty, evil brokenness in the world. Uh, forgetting that that's absolutely what following Jesus means, that we're called to be out in the world following Jesus, and that inevitably along the way it's going to be hard and painful and there's going to be brokenness. Um, but Jesus prays actually that we would be protected in the midst of that from the evil one. Um, your translation might have said uh, protected from evil. That's actually a better translation in Greek. Um, and my translation is, is really working to try and understand the world that Jesus understands. Um, if you read the Gospels, you see that evil is not some abstract, impersonal, hypothetical thing. Um, something that only exists in human beings, but evil is, is malevolent and personal and bent on destruction. And I don't really like talking about it because in the Gospels we really want to talk about Jesus. We don't want to talk about demons and the devil and the fact that we have an enemy. It's not something that preachers want to spend time on. But the truth is we do have an enemy. And he is looking for people to devour, the Bible says. Bent on destruction. And there is a difference between suffering in the world and that suffering managing to take hold of us and ruin us. And Jesus is praying for that difference, uh, that we would not be destroyed uh, by evil, that we would be protected um, from some of the things that we see him casting out and doing battle with in the New Testament. And I think sometimes in life, uh, there's really two mistakes you can make when it comes to the evil one. One is walking outside and going, there are demons everywhere. I need to be afraid all the time. It's sort of a horror movie mentality about the world we live in. Um, and that's not the world that the Bible lives in. But another huge mistake is to believe that we are completely unopposed in the world that we live in. Uh, that there is no personal and dedicated evil that is bent on our destruction, bent on the destruction of people around us. To walk naively into the world and forget that we are actually in some kind of battle and that we have enemies. And there is a, a really wonderful thing here to remember that Jesus prays and that we can trust that Jesus' prayers are effective, but that we want to join Jesus as he prays for this for us, that we will be protected from evil. But again, I don't think it's just necessarily the evil one. We're only talking about the devil here. I think Jesus is praying for general protection from evil. And one of the ways that evil can really work its way into our lives, I think, is actually through a lack of unity. Uh, through a kind of individualism that's 
sort of run amok uh, in our world in particular, a belief that you and I are on our own, um, that I have to take care of me, that you have to take care of you. Um, the idea of the church being a place where we come together in community, we really care about one another, we become a family, that's sort of this foreign idea. Thomas Merton, uh, in a book he wrote called Seeds of Contemplation, um, says this, The man who lives in division is not a person, but only an individual. I have what you have not, I am what you are not. I have taken what you have failed to take, I have seized what you could never get, therefore you suffer and I am happy. You are despised and I am praised, you die and I live, you are nothing because I am something, and I am all the more something because you are nothing. And thus I spend my life admiring the distance between you and me. And at times this even helps me to forget that other men have things that I do not, and other men get praised in ways that I do not. The man who lives in division is living in death. He cannot find himself because he has lost. He has ceased to be a reality. The person he believes himself to be is a bad dream. It's a really dangerous thing in a lack of unity in our lives. I'm not relying on one another and, and trusting one another. And the world we live in really does try to say that you, you need to be a, a self-made man or uh, that you need to kind of take care of you and yours and, and watch out for yourself. And other people aren't really going to take care of you. And when that works its way into the church, some really ugly things start to happen. I remember I had this weird privilege one day of sitting with uh, kind of the world's foremost scholar on Paul. So just an expert on the New Testament. It was him and myself and a group of scholars, and we were sitting in a room, and people were asking him questions. And they were really interesting questions, and then one guy asked a just boring and kind of stupid question. Um, what, what do you think Paul would be most scandalized by uh, in the world that we live in, in the church in particular, in the world we live in? And, you know, beyond electric lights, everyone's assuming that this guy's trying to, like, lead this really smart man into, like, his pet's kind of peeve somewhere in the church. Maybe it's the sexuality conversation. Maybe it's the political conversation, how the church tends to bow down to the wrong God. Uh, maybe it's the racial conversation, how the church is sort of mishandling this. And so we're all sort of annoyed that this guy is sort of wasting everyone's time. And the scholar stands up and says, you know, actually, it's a really good question. Unity. Lack of unity in the church. I think that's hands down the thing that would scandalize Paul more than anything else. Which was really surprising. And everybody in the room knows their Bibles decently well, so there's this pause as people start thinking back over everything Jesus says about loving one another and not choosing positions of power, but choosing positions of service, and how Paul's favorite metaphor for the church in the New Testament is a family. Like, you don't even notice how often he calls us brothers or sisters or brothers and sisters. And a lot of the time, actually, he talks about us as a body, where Christ is the head and you and I are body parts, limbs. And the body really needs all of its parts in order to work. And if it doesn't have them, then it's this maimed thing. It can still work. It just can't get nearly as much done nearly as effectively. But those body parts, when they get severed from the body, well, they're like body parts severed from a body. They don't do very well. They don't make any sense apart from the body. They are, well, they're, they're not alive anymore. And part of the thing about the world we live in, I, I come across a lot of really unhealthy Christians. And you might call them non-Christians, maybe. Um, but they would call themselves Christians, and I think that's fair. But I remember I ran into a girl, it was a week ago, and she was complaining about how it's really hard to follow Jesus. Um, and she's been feeling kind of lonely, and she's sort of uh, missing out on community. And I said, you know, there's actually a Bible study that meets right now. Do you, like, in my church, you can go to it. You don't have to come to our church. You can just go to this Bible study. And she said, yeah, that'd, that'd be cool. I said, okay, I'll give you the phone number of the person in charge of the Bible study. You can call them. It'll be great. Okay, I'll call them right now. Still hasn't called. And... 
I think the reason she hasn't called is simple. She kind of is used to doing life on her own. And a lot of the language in this particular part of the Gospel of John really references back to John 10, um, where Jesus talks about shepherds and being good shepherds and how we're like sheep who need something to protect us, because otherwise there are wolves out there. And I don't know if this is a really genuine connection to the Gospel of John or just something I've been thinking about, but sheep all by themselves are pretty easy to pick off. Sheep in a herd who are consistently trying to follow a shepherd, I think will be kept safe. But a sheep just wandering out there in the wilderness all by itself, it's easy pickings for the evil one. Unity is, is something that I think comes alongside Jesus' prayer for protection to keep us safe and moving in the direction that, that God has called us to move. The final thing um, that Jesus prays for, uh, that we're going to talk about anyways, uh, for holiness, which is really interesting, that they would sanctify, uh, they would be sanctified by your word, which is true. Um, which is sort of verses 16 all the way to verse 18, 19, really. He's praying for sanctification, which is an old churchy word uh, that you and I sometimes hear, maybe we're in a Bible study once and you learned a lot about sanctification. Uh, but the people hearing this in the first century would hear a very different word, that we would be made holy, sanctified, they would start thinking about the temple and priests and all that goes with that, that people would take animals in to be sacrificed and that every year the high priest would come out and sprinkle blood on people and they would be sort of cleaned and, and made holy all of a sudden. And the high priest, in order to do that, has to sanctify himself first because he's human too. And so he would go and undergo a series of rituals and processes and, and become clean and then put on these sort of vestments and have this big old plaque on his chest that says, Holy to the Lord. And that would happen, and then, of course, he could come out and sanctify people. And Jesus says, I'm going to sanctify myself, in verse 19, so that I can sanctify them. I pray that they would be sanctified, made holy, um, the way that you've kind of made me holy. And in the next couple of chapters, Jesus is going to the cross, uh, where he's going to, I think, sanctify all of us. Um, in a crazy and marvelous and miraculous way, becoming a high priest for us, in a way that no one has ever been a high priest before. Entering into the presence of God in a way that no one has ever entered in the presence of God before. Uh, the New Testament and the book of Hebrews spends a lot of time riffing on the idea that Jesus is our high priest and that he shows up not with the blood of bulls and goats um, but with his own blood. And in verse uh, chapter 4, verse 14, he says this, Since we have so great a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. The idea in Hebrews is that Jesus becomes a high priest for us on the cross and is kind of constantly with the Father, praying for us all the time, sanctifying us all the time, interceding for us all the time. So that you and I, when we come to God in prayer, we come with a kind of boldness uh, that human beings shouldn't usually have in the face of this almighty and powerful God. Because we know that we have a high priest who's right there with him, who knows what it's like to be us, to come alongside us, and to make us holy and to sanctify us in that way. Jean Varnier, in his commentary on the Gospel of John, says this about these verses. He says, This holiness is not something we can achieve. It's given. It's not reserved for austere seekers of God, for those who have an official role in the church, for those who preach and do advanced theological studies. It's not reserved for those who are well-known mystics or for those who do wonderful things for the poor. Holiness is for those who are poor enough 
to welcome Jesus. It's for people living ordinary lives, for all those who open their hearts to trust in Jesus. See, the holiness that Jesus is praying for here is a gift, and one that he will continue to pray for. See, again, in the language of Hebrews, Jesus doesn't stop praying for us. He's always praying for us. And here in the Gospel of John, chapter 17, we get a glimpse of what Jesus is praying for right now, next to the throne of God. So that there will come a day when you find yourself in prayer and wonder whether or not God is listening or wonder whether or not God cares or wonder whether or not you're too broken or dirty or not the kind of person that God listens to. And you've got to remember that Jesus here in chapter 17, really in the rest of the Gospel of John and the rest of the New Testament, is showing himself to be our high priest, someone who stands with God for us. Constantly telling God, oh yeah, this is, this is one of my favorite people. You need to listen to what he has to say. And not only that, someone who's constantly making us holy and constantly bringing us closer and closer to God's love. See, the beautiful thing about eavesdropping on Jesus' prayers here is that we realize that Jesus is still praying for us even now and that you and I can come alongside him in prayer and cry out to God and then he'll hear us because we have this great high priest we can approach the throne of grace with boldness. It's a wonderful thing. Would you pray with me? Um, Jesus, we ask you. Um, uh, we ask you for holiness. Uh, right now, Lord, uh, that we would be poor enough to welcome Jesus. That we would not forget what we already know. Uh, that you love us. That you're on our side. And that you make us holy, not because we're so great. That you can make us one, unite us, fill us with joy, not because we're so clever. That you can protect us because you're God. But you're also one of us. And we're so grateful, Lord, for all that you do in our lives. And we pray that we would come closer to you. In the name of Jesus, amen.